Hello, this is Pastor Pete Beck III with LifeNet in Burlington, North Carolina. Welcome to today's podcast entitled, Is Christ Really Coming Again? 1971. That was the year that the Holy Spirit opened my spiritual eyes and let me see that Jesus is everything the Bible says. A gigantic in-gathering of people into God's kingdom was taking place in our nation and around the world at that time. It was called by some the Jesus Revolution, during which thousands of so-called hippies and others from that generation of baby boomers, as well as people from other age groups, became followers of Christ. Concurrent with that awakening was another movement called the Charismatic Renewal, in which thousands, if not millions of people across a wide range of denominations and non-denominations received and experienced what many call the baptism and fullness of the Holy Spirit, complete with speaking in tongues, prophecy, and other manifestations of God's Spirit. Many of those who came to Christ during that time became leaders in the church, And what God did during that decade still impacts the church 50 years later. One of the earmarks of that ingathering was a profound interest in Christ's second coming. People were fascinated with trying to piece together a proper sequence of future end-time events. Those who professed to know all about it worked out all kinds of charts showing their predicted scenarios. Many of us expected that Jesus would come very soon, just as did the early church. Do you think that there is any connection between people coming to Christ in large numbers and an intense interest in the second coming? The answer is found in the gospel itself. The gospel is the good news about a person named Jesus, who is the promised Messiah King of Israel. His grand mission is to reclaim and transform all creation under God's rule. Jesus began his public ministry by proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. The reason he could say that was because the king himself was then present on planet earth. Wherever Jesus went, the kingdom was at hand. He introduced his kingdom rule into the lives of those who followed and believed in him by releasing them from the power of the devil and sin and calling them to follow him without reservation or hesitation. His new way of living requires the renunciation of all competing allegiances surrendering to his lordship in every area of life. And this is what it means to follow Christ. While he was here on earth, he was the epicenter of the kingdom of God and the focus of the messianic expectations of those around him. These expectations crescendoed when he entered Jerusalem on a donkey to the shouts of the crowd, Hosanna to the son of David. Those present proclaimed that he was and is the long-promised successor to David's throne, the Messiah. 
Believing that Jesus was a spiritual and political threat, the religious and civil powers put him to death, apparently dashing the hopes of his followers. But this was all part of God's eternal plan to redeem us from our sins. The Messiah King first had to suffer and die in order to pay the penalty for our sins. Three days later, our hope was resurrected when Jesus emerged from the tomb. For 40 days, he instructed his band of faithful followers in the things related to his kingdom. And then Jesus ascended to heaven to sit at his Father's right hand upon the throne of God, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool and for the appointed time for his return, this time as the victorious and glorious King of Kings, the Son of Man, prophesied by Daniel, who will judge the living and the dead and put an end to every other kingdom. He will permanently install God's long-awaited rescue and rule over all creation. The second coming will be the culmination of God's grand plan to redeem and restore all things to himself through his Son. On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was unleashed to baptize and empower Christ's followers. The Apostle Peter, filled with the Spirit, preached the first sermon in this new age of the Spirit-filled church. His conclusion is quoted below. This is from Acts 2.36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. That's from the New Living Translation. Peter's listeners responded, what should we do? Why would they feel the need to do anything? It was because they realized that they were answerable to God for rejecting and murdering his son, who amazingly, was still alive and sitting on God's throne. Jesus' resurrection made him the de facto ruler of the universe to whom everyone must answer. Behind Peter's words is the understanding that Jesus will come again as the Lord of Lords to judge every human being and punish those who choose to reject his benevolent rule. The gospel is an invitation to all who have previously rejected the messianic king to finally get right with God by confessing that Jesus is indeed the Lord who has risen from the dead and who will come again one day to punish those who reject his kingly authority. In Acts chapter 3, Peter again preached, Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you, Jesus, your appointed Messiah. 
for he must remain in heaven until the time for his final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. That's Acts 3, 19 through 21, the New Living Translation. The gospel preaching of the early church was completely focused on the person named Jesus the Messiah, his lordship, and the second coming, which included the resurrection of the dead, the just and the evil, and the last judgment, and the restoration of all things under God's rule. It is no wonder that when this gospel is preached, whether then or today, that those who hear and believe will become intensely interested in Jesus' second coming. The faith that saves is based on the gospel revelation that Jesus is the Messiah King who is coming again to firmly establish God's rule on planet Earth. Sadly, if all we do is present this glorious coming Lord as a, quote, personal Savior, end of quote, who rescues us from hell, it is no wonder that when people that people are not greatly moved and changed when they believe in him. A personal savior requires little or nothing from his adherents, but the glorious Lord of Lords expects complete surrender from those who follow him. Have you yet seen him for who he really is? Have you surrendered to him? Until you do that, you have not really known him. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and heart, just as he did for those who heard Peter's sermon so long ago. You may wish to pray with me. Holy Spirit, I ask you to reveal Jesus to me so that I may properly surrender my life to him. My desire is to know Christ to the greatest degree possible and serve him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen.